You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Hey everybody, this is Scott O'Donohue. I'm one of the pastors of the Village Church that gathers in downtown Hamilton, Ohio. Uh, This is the very first episode in a series of episodes recapping some of our content from Not Our Own. It's a a class that we're doing here at the Village in May of 2021 um, that's really geared towards cultivating a clear, compassionate, evangelistic community through conversations around gender and sexuality. Uh, And so... Uh, While the class itself is a series of five classes, uh, this podcast um, recap might actually end up being a little bit more. Um, I don't want to drone on and on and on uh, for every single episode, and it might be helpful to actually break it up into some more subtopical things because we are hitting on a lot uh, during our classes on Sunday morning. So uh, I'm not sure how many episodes will actually be in this series, but um, we're going to start today by covering uh, kind of a summary of our very first class where we just kind of ask the question, uh, what's at stake? And the goal was uh, in general to help orient our minds and our hearts even around uh, how to approach conversations about gender and sexuality in the church. Uh, so Man, I think one of the things that I have experienced, uh, and I know many other people have experienced as well, um, in the church is that for many people, while we're, we may part ways, folks are going to part ways from churches, uh, will avoid other churches, not attend churches, will um, make decisions about who they fellowship with, and all of that stuff based on the way uh, that we handle um, these conversations about about gender and sexuality, uh, about where we even land theologically, what we believe the Bible teaches about that stuff. I have seen and experienced um, people who are uh, both in and outside the LGBTQ community uh, leave churches um, not because of the issue of gender or sexuality in the scriptures, but because of the way that the church handled conversations uh, around gender and sexuality, specifically when it started to, to bear fruit or impact their life. And it was not uh, the theology of the church. It was not what they believed about gender and sexuality uh, in the scriptures. It was the way that they were dehumanized. It was the way that they were uh, mistreated, where the truth was either withheld, um, as if almost they were embarrassed of it, um, or it was weaponized in such a way that uh, it was just meant to come at people. Um, and that's, that, is, that is not what we want to do as a church. Um, I have had to sit with people uh, and help them just kind of sort through what just happened to them at, uh, at their current church or at their previous church. And the reality is, like, it's possible to have conversations with other people who disagree uh, with you theologically on this matter. You can acknowledge the hurt that's been done to them, and uh, you can also be honest about what you believe and share the gospel. You can have a united um, understanding of who Jesus is and its significance. Um, you can also disagree on some of these things, and, and you can have these conversations with other people um, and have them in a way that is encouraging and upbuilding. Uh, and yet, while we're going to see people part ways uh, in the church, probably this one, probably the village, um, and, and also other churches uh, at large, 
over gender and sexuality, what I don't want to see, um, what I don't want to be a part of are having to sit down with people uh, who have been hurt by the church. Like I, I, I just don't want to see that happen. Uh, I'm not saying that I don't want the church to stand up for what they believe is true, to live out their convictions uh, and all that stuff. What I'm saying is uh, when the, the line is drawn in the sand or the straw that breaks the camel's back, let it not be that the church uh, has sinned against other people. Um, let it be that the church has not mishandled the word, uh, weaponizing it or withholding it in such a way. Let it be over disagreement, over what is true, and the ability to kind of walk through and carry out ministry and life together than at that point. Um, I, I certainly don't want to sit in more uh, rooms and have those conversations. I probably will um, over the course of my years. Uh, and I certainly don't want this church, uh, this community of people here at the village, uh, to produce that kind of hurt, uh, to send other people to other churches or to put them in other rooms with other people and pastors because of the way that we've uh, engaged and gone about uh, conversations around gender and sexuality and the way that that has impacted them in some way. So that is why we're doing this class. That's why the goal of this class is to cultivate that clarity and that compassion and that evangelistic heart. Um, and, and when I say evangelistic heart, I mean that, that we understand and know uh, what it looks like to bring good news to actually bear um, on the world and on the church in conversations around gender and sexuality. I think it's really, really easy for us to think, oh, we only have bad news to bring <laughs> to conversations about gender and sexuality. We are the party poopers, we are the prudes, we are the uh, whatever, we are the, the bigots and the ones who have to hold on to stuff that, uh, that is just traditional and archaic and all those things. Um, and that's just simply not true. We, we have good news to bring, um, not just to a conversation, but to every person having this conversation, no matter how intimately involved uh, with it, they might actually be. So, that being said, uh, we started um, this series of classes by looking at 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 9 through 6, 20. We looked at uh, a little over a uh, chapter, chapter and a half, uh, basically together um, as a church, just to help us orient uh, our heads and our hearts uh, around this conversation. So what I want to do um, in this little recap uh, is actually walk through some of those things with you. So um, hopefully this is helpful. Uh, we're going to look at uh, just kind of starting in 1 Corinthians 5, 9. I'll, I'll read a chunk and then kind of unpack a little bit, read a chunk, unpack a little bit. All right. Uh, so starting in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 9, uh, the Apostle Paul writes this. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And that last sentence is a little bit of a, a quotation from the Old Testament. So 
like where is our attention when it comes to this conversation? Uh, chances are when gender and sexuality comes up, we often think of uh, the folks who are quote unquote out there, um, them, those people that think differently than we do. It doesn't matter what kind of side of the conversation you fall on, uh, most likely you think of the people that believe differently or think differently than you do. And so uh, what Paul says here is that we would have to leave the planet um, in order for us to disassociate with with what those other people or with what the world uh, is is believing, uh, how they're living. If we're to disassociate with the sexual immorality um, or just sin in general of the world, we would have to leave the planet. Um, and so for us, our responsibility is, is honestly to stop worrying about the world in and of itself. Stop, stop judging uh, the world. Stop pointing the fingers outwards. Um, instead, we get to take care of our own. Uh, we get to look inward, both internally uh, and also in our communities of faith, and that's where we get to give the largest amount of scrutiny. And so uh, the reality is when the world's sin is on our radar, when, when the sin of those people out there is the stuff that's on our radar, then we are actually trying to do God's job for him, and we cease to do our own, which really is church discipline. Uh, and so Paul, from this passage alone, Paul would have more beef with, with the porn-addicted churchgoer than the gay non-Christian. Um, and we are not separatists. We're, we're not meant to be outside of the world. Uh, we're not to, meant to be of the world, but we are meant to be in the world. We are evangelists, not separatists. We take the power and the grace of God seriously. We take it out into the world for salvation, uh, and we bring it uh, back in here into our lives, into the life of the church for sanctification, for transformation. Um, and so the way that we even approach this conversation, um, it, it matters to our sanctification. It matters to our own holiness, both individually and collectively um, as a church. If our if our radar, if, if as we're talking about these things, learning about these things, we're always thinking about someone other than ourselves and how they need to be corrected and what they can learn and how they can change, um, then we are honestly just punting on the, the work that the Lord wants to do in us and through us to make us more like himself in these conversations. So uh, that is the, the first chunk of this passage. We'll keep reading uh, to see what Paul writes. He goes on to say, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we're to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers? And so here, man, like, are we competent to have this conversation? Uh, what is our witness as a church to the world in these things? Do we, are we bringing shame uh, to the Lord and to the church in the way that we engage uh, in this stuff? When, when we take each other to trial over this conversation, um, we ought to be competent uh, to actually do that um, with the content of the scriptures, right? It is easy to base what we think on assumption, 
or on tradition or on maybe what we've we've heard in a couple of Bible verses or what is current and what you hear all the time in culture from friends or schoolmates or uh, what have you, um, you might have what you would consider a biblical position. But hear me, that if it's not rooted in the word, then it's not biblical, right? If you can't build for me or for anyone else your case, your biblical case for gender and sexuality from the scriptures, then then you actually don't have a, a biblically rooted case. Uh, honestly, it has the same persuasive power or credibility as someone with a, an entirely different position who really doesn't care what the Bible thinks at all, but builds their belief off of something or someone else that they heard or just kind of what they think. That content is worldly apart from the scriptures. Um, and too often, to be honest, uh, the church confuses uh, what's righteous, what's biblical, what, what's holy with what's simply normal. Um, and this might seem weird at first, but, but just because something is heterosexual doesn't mean that it's godly. All right. Um, for real, just because you would identify that, if, you, if you're somebody who holds to a traditional uh, sexual ethic, um, then, then for you to say that uh, heterosexuality is normal isn't the same thing as saying that, that anyone's sexuality is actually holy or righteous. All right. Um, just because uh, it's affirming on the flip side, just because it's affirming um, or doesn't offend anyone, your position and where you come from, it also doesn't mean that it's, it's loving. Right? So what feels right uh, or what has been the norm, what's traditional, uh, or even just surface level um, kind of coasting of, of the scriptures, it doesn't really cut it uh, anymore. We get to build our lives on the word of God uh, as our rule of faith. The scriptures, the Holy Spirit, the Lord, he, he sanctifies what's normal, right? Sanctifies feelings. He sanctifies our traditions and our, and our experiences over time. So we get to come into these conversations competent in the word, what God has actually said, not just in content, uh, but also in our conduct, which when Paul's talking to the people in Corinth, he says that they're dealing with stuff Right, and it just to, to his shame, um, that, that they seemingly aren't competent enough to like even deal with the, the matters that are at hand. But it's not even just they don't know the law or don't know what's right. It's that they're going about it in the wrong way too. And so again, when we go to trial over this uh, against one another, it's, it's rarely with an open Bible. Um, and ironically, we, we use whatever we find in the Bible to either beat each other up with or we're embarrassed by it. We, we make excuses for it. We withhold it uh, in some way, shape, or form. We say it's irrelevant or uh, we, we simply don't apply it even to ourselves. We don't offer, offer the grace that's to be found there. Uh, and so, look, our, our conduct, just as much as our content, ought to be competent in the way that we go about uh, having these conversations. So, when we defer to the world's wisdom, uh, we neglect God's standing in the church and we neglect our, our calling. Uh, Paul would say that the church ought to be the most competent voice um, on many, many matters. Sexuality and gender, certainly one of them. We are, we are called to judge the world. We're going to judge angels one day. And so like Paul says, um, why not that much more than matters pertaining to this life? And, and we ought to be willing to have these conversations, um, even when it costs us something. 
so it, this isn't just about like where we land and being competent and where we land in the scriptures, but how we proceed through these conversations, even when it costs us our reputation, whether we were called a bigot or whether we're called a liberal or whatever, we don't, we don't get to respond in kind to those things, right? We get to respond as Jesus would with much grace and patience and truth, not compromising on any of those things. Right, and so uh, we, we not only tear each other apart sometimes when we talk about this stuff, but we, we actually repel people who might otherwise want to, to join God's church or send out, send away those who are part of God's church that, that just find that kind of behavior repulsive. And on the flip side, and honestly might attract the very people who aren't part of God's church, who simply do want to draw lines in the sand over cultural issues, really without any founding at all in the word or with any missional intent uh, or heart for, for gospel transformation. So, man, our, our witness is at stake uh, in the way that we go about having these conversations. We ought to be competent in our content and in our conduct for the glory of God. Um, so that is kind of the, the second chunk. The third chunk that we see Paul write is this. Uh, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Where is the gospel in these conversations? When you talk about this stuff, where is the good news? Um, when we look outside, uh, over the people around us, over ourselves, and we scorn the sinners who don't know Jesus, we scorn and we forget ourselves. But if we go back to the first paragraph, um, we see many of the things uh, that Paul writes in this paragraph uh, sexually immoral, idolaters, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. We see all of those words, all of those sins, people identifying with uh, immorality. We see those listed there too. Those are the people that he calls us to separate from if people in the church identify uh, with those things. And yet what he says here uh, is that, man, such were some of you. In other words, like what sin has separated, who, who the church is called to cast out, to, to discipline, is also who Jesus wants to clean and bring into his church. And, and the evidence for that is you and me. If, if you're listening to this and you're a believer in Christ, you're part of the church, um, then you are part of the evidence for this. Right? I, I'm not talking about this on one side of a, a microphone. I'm not uh, leading a class on this because I have some like sexual perfection or I understand exactly what it means to be a man and so therefore I'm qualified to do that. No, like I, I have junk and sin and baggage that I bring into this as well. Um, it's only for the grace of God through Jesus that I'm here talking about this stuff, that we get to talk about this stuff together um, and we ought not forget that, all right? Um, so the integrity of the gospel, honestly, is at stake in the way that we go about having these conversations. Um, the gospel, to be clear, does not downgrade holiness at all. Just because Jesus fulfilled the law doesn't mean he abolished it. Um, nor does the gospel demand holiness first before we believe it. 
right? So letting things slide or downplaying morality is not in step with the gospel. And telling people to fix themselves, to fix their sexuality, figure out their gender identity, get rid of dysphoria, clean themselves up before coming to the cross, that's not in step with the gospel either. The church has treated uh, many, many other sexual sins cheaply. Right? We, we have a, a crisis of sexual abuse cover-up and, and all sorts of moral failures um, in the church at large right now. Thankfully, uh, not here at the village, but at large, we, we see that stuff happening all the time. Uh, even pornography and no-fault divorce and sex before marriage, living together uh, with, uh, with your partner before you get married. Um, not even just, but like gluttony, uh, coming outside of sexuality. We have all sorts of things that as a church we ought to um, talk about more and that we let slide quite a bit. Um, and yet we, we, we tell non-believers that they need to start following Jesus before they've ever actually been saved by him. Uh, that's just, this is not the way it's supposed to happen. Uh, that's not the way it's supposed to play out. Um, so we, we preach here at the village, we preach justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so in the church, we have to make space for ongoing sanctification in all of these things. That means it's going to be messy, right? And we can easily lean to one side uh, and let kind of the, the, the grace and all that stuff that accepts uh, slip away, or the, the grace that transforms, we can let that slip away as well, um, and just kind of leave ourselves with a hollow, lopsided gospel. But but we get to bring both things together. Um, our gospel should not be counterfeit or or partisan or partial towards any one group of people. Uh, we we gosh, when we forget who we are and where we're from, that Jesus has saved us and is saving us, and what He's saving us from. We are so prone to do that, though. Um, so may we not forget ourselves, uh, forget God's rescue of us uh, in the midst of this conversation. To be honest, I'll probably say this again in another class. If we as a church uh, believe that gender and sexuality, that, uh, that a diversity of opinions and voices is just increasing and rising in the world around us, then look, if, if we're not separatists, if we are evangelists, then we ought to see an increase in the diversity of thought within our church. We, we ought to see that same increase here. If we're doing our job of going out to the world, sharing good news about Jesus, inviting them into the life uh, with Jesus and with the church, then things ought to be messy here. That's literally what Paul and the early church experienced as they invited Gentiles into the church who had a variety of different backgrounds and sexual norms and ethics and all sorts of stuff. Um, that's what they experienced, but that's the work that we get to do as a church. So that's what we should see. All right, uh, so uh, last little section here uh, of Paul's writing. He goes on to say this, uh, all things are lawful for me. Uh, he's kind of quoting a phrase, but not all things are helpful. That's his commentary. All things are lawful for me, he quotes it again, but I will not be dominated by anything. That's his commentary. Uh, another quote, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, uh, he cites. And, Paul says, God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that our bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. 
Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it's written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is where we get the name of our class from, not our own. Um, look, it, it's, it's popular to elevate gender issues, sexual orientation, all that stuff as some higher class or category of sin than the others. And, and we, would, we would say that that's not right. We shouldn't do that. Um, and yet, Paul here qualifies sexual sin as something unique. It's something that, that we do against our own bodies, not, not outside of them. Um, it, it's sin, and certainly we can sexually sin against others. We can certainly sexually sin with others, but it's a sin against our own bodies as well. Because uh, sexuality, s- sexual behavior is joining um, it, there's a, a physical component to it and a spiritual component to it as well. It creates a, a belonging or a union with the other person uh, that you're engaging in that act with. Sex um, is part of that one flesh union. That, that is not just a, a marriage term that we hear about in Genesis chapter 2. Um, man, because Paul's not just talking about marrying a prostitute, right? He's talking about sleeping with a prostitute, sexual behavior. That is the one flesh union that we see here. Um, and, and so look, we were not made to be joined and ripped apart, and joined and ripped apart, and joined and ripped apart. We, we weren't made to remake or redefine our own bodies. Um, we, we may think that we're gaining something when we do that, uh, that we're fixing something, that we're making something right, but, but it just proves that we're actually in need of something. And, and we're going to places, we're going to people, we're going to things that will never, never, never satisfy that need. In fact, it may actually leave us feeling that need more and more and more with time. So here's the good news that Paul has for us. Um, be, it, be it gluttony, be it lust, be it lying, greed, that the internal compulsions or desires that we have within us, even our instincts, we don't have to be slaves to our natural desires to our natural impulses that we feel throughout the day. Just because something is lawful, he says, doesn't mean that it's helpful. Just because something is lawful doesn't mean we have to give in and do it. Just because our bodies are sexed and they're sexual doesn't mean that with every desire or attraction, we go and satisfy that desire or define who we are by how we most feel in the moment. This is the analogy of, of the stomach and the food. Hey, our, our stomach's meant for eating. It's meant for food. So when we're hungry, we should just fill it, right? We should just give it food. So the same thing is true about our bodies, right? When we have a sexual urge, we just go and satisfy it, right? No, that Paul is speaking against that line of thinking. Your body wasn't meant to satisfy every craving. It's meant for the Lord. And it's meant to be satisfied by the Lord. And, and that's a, a crushing reality to all of us uh, who, who are listening to this, who come to that realization, who have set that satisfaction aside, set the Lord aside and pursued other things to try to fill ourselves, to satisfy ourselves. But, 
But that's what also makes the gospel such good news. Because despite what we've given ourselves to or or how we've let our urges lead us into sin against ourselves uh, and the Lord and others, he saw us, God saw us, and he chose to buy us for a price, the highest price of his own life. We are not our own. We are his. Not just your soul, but your body. Your body that he has made a temple for his spirit to dwell in. That he's made a member of himself and his church. That one day after it dies and is put into the ground, he will raise up again in new life, glorified and perfected forever without need. And so Christ, not our desires, not our urges, Christ gets to define us, to tell us who we are. We are not our orientation, gay, straight, or something else. We are not our gender identity or our uh, expression. We are not our sexual partners. We are not our sexual history or our sexual future. We're not uh, our potential for a spouse or a marriage or having kids down the road. We are not how at home even we feel in our own bodies. We are primarily, firstly, supremely Christ's. And Christ alone defines us. And he has. He he has made a home in us for his spirit and he is preparing a home for us. He is our our present and he is our future. This, This truth right here, that gender and sexuality, whatever that might be, that those things are not our ultimate identity, this is the most foundational layer of the good news, of the gospel that preaches into this conversation into an over-sexualized, over-individualized, over-self-expressive culture, right? No matter who you are or no matter what you are, right? And so this, this is where we get to kind of end this first uh, class, this first conversation together. Um, do you know who you are? <laughs> Would you even know how to begin to answer that question? If you are in Christ, you are not your own. You have been bought. You are his. Uh, you've been embodied and you are in his body, a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so you might disagree with uh, a lot that we would say, um, or maybe not uh, over the coming weeks and over the coming episodes in this series. But if you, don't, if you don't remember anything else or take away anything else from this stuff, please remember this bit, that in Christ, we are defined mostly, primarily, ultimately by him, which means that nothing else about us gets to tell us who we are. So that's the good news in this conversation. Um, We will, over the coming weeks, look at just kind of how we got here. Uh, We'll look at sexuality, specifically gender, specifically uh, maybe some next steps. We'll do a lot of reading and looking at the scriptures. Um, And so that's where I might break some of this stuff up as we look uh, topically and subtopically at some things. Uh, But hopefully this first episode tees up uh, at least our, our posture of heart and how we want to approach this conversation uh, as we move into the coming week. So um, love you guys. If you have any questions about this stuff at all, um, all of this stuff is so personal. Um, While there are foundational truths and we get to stand on the scriptures, I also know that people just have lots and lots of questions and everybody's story is a little bit different. Um, And so if you need to reach out to us at all, we'd love to chat. Um, You can email us at info at myvillagechurch.com. That's our general email address. Uh, I'll get those emails. I would love to hear from you and help you however I can. Uh, Love you guys. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you on the next one.